Want to do a quick commercial here for our friends at Daxco. That is D-A-X-K-O. Owners of Club Automation, CSI Spectrum, MotionSoft, BFP Next. These software platforms go beyond the current club software and provide best-in-breed solutions to the Halo sector. They wake up every day. They're thinking about your fitness community. They're trying to enhance your member experiences, the facility, easy-to-use software for the staff. If you're looking to change your software, if you're looking to get ahead, if you're looking to get to the next level in the Halo sector and win, do me a favor. Go to info.clubautomation.com forward slash the experience. That is forward slash the experience. Pete Moore, Petey Mo, checking out. And now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of welcoming back my good friend for a short 34 years from Camp Loconda. He's a counselor out of University of Michigan's basketball management team, Roger Harvey the first. How are you, Roger? I'm fantastic. Awesome. Well, um, you know, we've been through the pandemic together. We've been through uh, some uh, summer camp, uh, uh, you know, incidences and some uh, full court basketball for like two and a half hours at a time, which is probably not recommended by the Surgeon General. We were going hard, you know, so, uh, you know, we've, we've crossed paths several times. You know, originally I became a member of the Crunch Club that you were managing on 13th Street because I lived on 15th Street with my boy Krasik. And then uh, we helped buy Crunch uh, from Bally's. And then uh, you worked with us at Switch and then, you know, came in as the CEO in a crazy set of times and circumstances with New York Sports Club. So there's your little bio background. And um, why don't you kind of take us from the day I called you up um, to say, hey, there's a CEO position at New York Sports Clubs. And uh, you got to start on Tuesday. It was a Sunday night. <laughs> and then where it kind of went from there and what that experience was like. Well, that's exactly right. Again, it's, a, it's, it's been a real pleasure to have my professional path uh, so closely aligned with one of my closest friends over the past more than three decades, which is which is really hard, sorry, hard to fathom at times. Yeah. Uh, but that part's been great. Uh, again, that's 100% a true story. He called me on a Sunday night and said that there, uh, you know, that there was an opportunity available, and uh, you and I were at uh, at the offices on Tuesday morning, 9 a.m. in masks uh, because the pandemic right. was in full effect at the time. Uh, and pre, pre shots, uh, pre vaccine, actually. Pre vaccine. And it turned, I mean, it was really, it, it, it was and still is an amazing experience, one of the best in a career that I've had uh, the pleasure of experiencing a lot of different things from full entrepreneurial, from startups and idea, working with entrepreneurs who have an idea in their head and helping them have it grow, businesses that were already in progress. Uh, and needed some help and, and direction and where there was a good fit between the skill sets and the experiences that I've had with what the oper- with the opportunities and needs for the organization were. And that was really a good fit here. Um, I knew because of the, the time that I've been in the industry and the proximity that I've had working near New York sports clubs. So over the course of the past 30 years, for the most part, based in the New York City area and having a lot of friends in the industry that worked in the organization, I, I came into that opportunity with a pretty good understanding of what was there and the challenges that were a part of it. And then as a course, in the, during the course of the interview with the private bank that ended up bringing the, the organization out of bankruptcy, 
Uh, you know, we address the, the challenges in a very straightforward way. Um, you know, I explained to them what my purpose is, which is to help others. And you know, they walked, you know, we had a great get to know you conversation. And then they walked into me through the challenges that were faced at that organization at the particular time. And I remember at one point yeah, late in the conversation, uh, one of the members of the group uh, asked me point blank to, you know, this is really a difficult situation. You know, we haven't decided what direction we're going to grow. We, you know, go, we, we don't know if we're going to bring the thing completely out of bankruptcy, if we're going to sell it, if what we don't know, we haven't made all those decisions yet. You know, why, why are you interested in doing this? And I said, well, the, the first thing you asked me is to tell my story. And I opened with the fact that my purpose is to help others. And it would make me really bad at fulfilling my purpose if somebody asked for, for my help. And then they explain what they need help with. And it's a very difficult situation. And then I say, no, because it's too difficult. Like, I'm not afraid of failing. Um, I'm not afraid. In fact, I, people have often said that failure is not an option. And I agree with that. Failure is not an option because it's a requirement. If you haven't pushed yourself hard enough to fail at something, then you you haven't given your your, your best effort. Yeah, and, and it's, fail is like first attempt in learning is, you know. That's exactly right. And, and it's, it's not. Agree. That's right. It's not about. It, it, Everybody that we're working with is human outside of the AI uh, as it's integrated into what we do. But the people that we work with, part of being a person is that you're going to fail. It's inevitable. And so if somebody is afraid of failing, and I tell people this early on when I begin to work with them on any project, is that please don't be afraid of making a mistake. So because the mistakes are inevitable. I said, if you're afraid of something that's inevitable, I said, you're going to get stuck in the mud and you're not going to actually make progress. I said, instead, be prepared to the best of your ability recognize when you've made a mistake, do your best to understand the expectations of what led you there, make that mistake valuable and go on. So at New York Sports Club, lots of challenges, all of which are you know, really public information. The company has been around for, I guess, going in their 50th year now, I think 49th or 50th year, uh, a, a real iconic brand and name in the fitness industry. The pandemic, which was difficult on everybody, forced that company to go into bankruptcy. And so, uh, there were 186 gyms that went into bankruptcy. Coming out, the, the bank decided to bring uh, 68 gyms out of the bankruptcy and reopen them in the in the locations that they felt were the best situation. And then internally, there were a lot of challenges just over the course of time. You know, not anybody's fault or just you know, the things that happened over the course of 50 years. And as an industry is evolving at a hyper growth state, the way the fitness industry has, it's difficult for some of the older older companies that are more established in the industry to evolve and keep up. And so it was an opportunity where there were a lot of culture issues that needed to be fixed. There were financial issues that definitely needed to be fixed. There were a lot of opportunities in terms of operational efficiencies uh, and all capitalizing on all the strengths that the company had. And so it was walking into the middle of a, of a full-on crisis situation. Oh, and, and, it, was, and it was a pandemic, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, right, sorry. That's right. Oh, yeah, okay. I, I, I want to throw some icing on that. On that there, there, was, there was a pandemic, and, uh, and shortly after uh, I started, uh, the pandemic's winter wave started, so we had a lot of markets that got shut down again right away. Uh, those aren't unique things for, for me or for New York sports clubs, but it was a, a really unique situation, and uh, it was it was and still continues to be one of the best that I've had in my industry experience because it was an opportunity to focus on what was most important, which was... Uh, to make sure that the company made as much progress as possible in the shortest amount of time possible and working hand in hand with the existing team, adding parts of the team where we needed to, um, working with this, uh, the private bank that, uh, that brought us out of bankruptcy, 
in a way so that you know, they were acclimating to the industry and they were getting to know me, they were getting to know the management team and doing all that without, without having to, without focusing on ego, right? So I've been in the industry a long time and like anybody, like when you're younger and you look back at your experience, I think like a lot of the mistakes that you know, we've made, those that I've helped, I've done, done my best to make valuable. But certainly when I was younger, I would let a lot of uh, ego-based decisions get, uh, you know, take the lead in my mind. And with this opportunity, I knew that would be one of the worst things that I could do. And the, the priority there was to focus on what was best in the best interests of the organization, not on what might be the best interest of me selfishly. So while there could be a scenario where I could have said to myself, hey, I'm in a great spot here. I'm on the inside. I can uh, focus on attempting to make this uh, you know, the, the, the job that I have for the next several years. But what was required was to focus more on what's best for the company, which was helping keep the company and you know, moving forward, working as closely as I could with the board and the team, the internal management team, so that we were successful in, in making progress in the short term and setting the company up for long-term success. And the part of the way that worked out was uh, in helping get the company ready to transition to a new full-time long-term CEO who is now running the place and doing, by all accounts, an excellent job and keeping that re really working. You, know, you have your book, uh, Time to Win Again, which is focused on teamwork. And one of the most important things, in my opinion, and you touch on this in the book as well, being a part of a team, is understanding that you're part of a team. And I was, I was, and still am a part of the team with New York Sports Club in that, you know, my success was hinged on the company's success. And I, I knew that. And the role that I had to fill was focus on making sure the company was prepared for success, you know, work as hard as necessary to get that done, hand the, the reins over to somebody else who was ready to take the lead when I finished the first leg of that relay. And I, I'm really excited to see where the companies that go from there. I think they're uh, they're going to have a very bright future ahead of them. So, you know, with, with every deal I work on, every every project, there's always like new nuggets of, of continuous improvement. You know, my, my ex-boss uh, was a good friend and investor, uh, Peter Brockway said, you know, experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. So, you know, you walking into a, a company and saying like, okay, I've seen this movie before. Like, I know how to fix this, right? I go from crunch to New York sports clubs. Or I go to cr from crunch to switch. You know, there are certain things about group X that I've seen, you know, I know what the analytics are. I also know what my gut says and like my brain's already conditioned to tell me what the right answer is. You know, I've had to handle something. So when you take a look at New York sports clubs, obviously you went in there with imperfect information, um, you know, $18 million of, uh, of credits on, on memberships, uh, landlords that were, that were in, you know, maybe an agreement, maybe not an agreement. Didn't really know what the terms were. Um, so when you say, Hey, I'm going to go in, I'm going to serve someone. And uh, that's what I'm here for. I'm not here to help other people. Um, obviously I gave you 48 hours notice that, you know, you need to report to work on this one and, you know, take this job, but, forget about COVID for a second and forget about like that experience specifically, you know, when you look at your next opportunity, whatever you're going to do, and maybe this might be a lesson to you, to me, and to what other people need to think about on this call is make sure you diligence what you're getting into. So you actually know, like on day one, here's my hundred day plan that I'm going to develop because I actually know what the foundation is of what I just got myself into or I don't. And how much time does it take to do that? Who, how would you go about it? And, and, and what would you tell people if you like walked into this job 
without COVID. And say, hey, it was the CEO keys of New York Sports Club. You'd be like, dude, what the, what happened? Like, I, when, somebody didn't tell me this during the interview process. Am I supposed to interview <laughs> you as well at the same time? So it, it, it's well phrased. Uh, and one of the things you said actually triggered a memory of a great quote that I'd love to share. It's by uh, somebody, uh, a gentleman named Mula Nasruddin. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And he said, good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. <laughs> That's great. I like that one. Gentlemen, so, write that one down. I like it. Please. <laughs> so it, it, which is very true. And the reality is that my methodology that I practice and that I follow at the moment that I accepted the opportunity at New York sports clubs would not change at that moment in time. But just because that's the approach that I had at that moment in time, faced with the same set of circumstances, again, my methodology has evolved and would, would benefit from it. So uh, I have a few different underlying processes that I follow in, in the methodology that I practice. I describe it as something called a curriculum called level four. This level is for awareness training. It helps you practice living by learning to go more slowly so that you can recognize options and then choose the way that's best for you. It's built on a few fundamental processes, like the DNA of this methodology, this curriculum, the first step of which is accepting experiences. Six steps. I'm going to cover them now. We might do a deeper dive into them. But the six steps of accepting any experience that I found work for me are to love, learn, appreciate, forgive, teach, serve. The summary is that you can apply any emotion that you want, any reaction that you'd like to every experience that happens to and around you or to somebody else that you hear about through, through a third party. The ROI, the best ROI that you can apply to any experience is to love it because the more you love it, the more you learn from it. The more you learn from it, the more you appreciate it. The more you appreciate it, the more you are forgiving either of yourself and or of other people that were involved in the painful parts of that experience. The more you are forgiving, the more you learn and are excited to teach others what you've learned. And then you always get to that point where you realize that you can't actually teach anyone anything until they're ready to Accept the lesson, which means focus instead on service. So again, love, learn, appreciate, forgive, teach, serve. That's that's process one. So this opportunity I received with very little notice. If, if the circumstances to repeat themselves, there's very little opportunity that I would have had to have learned a lot more about going into it. But I know what my purpose is. So but I you also knew yes, the company for a while too, because you used right. to compete with them. So you had some right. famili enough familiarity that it was. That's right. Respected. But my DNA. That's right. But my DNA programs me to accept the challenge regardless of the circumstances, and then follow this program so that we do better. Now, the next stage of that program is the process of understanding expectations. Five words this time. Organize, communicate, educate, evaluate, modify, and then repeat. And the repeat is actually interesting. It's not an actual step. It's just something you have to remember to do because so many people get stuck in organization. Uh, there's a, uh, an old adage I, I lost. I can't remember exactly who, who it's accredited to, but they said that the aim at order is life. The aim at order is life. People feel better when we're putting things in order and mm. because it gives us a sense of control, which in reality is a bit of a false sense of control because the if you go to the laws of thermodynamics that dictate how the universe is held together, the second law of thermodynamics tells you that the entropy of the universe will increase naturally with time. Put bluntly, shit gets more chaotic, not less. Nobody should have been we surprised. we got the new telescope now, too. It's, it's like yeah, crazy. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you can so see all the way back to the beginning of time. At which I don't it, understand it, that fully. 
But we'll, that's a whole other. That's a different. We'll going. do that in a, in a future episode. But the reality yeah, is, that's going to be a new podcast, actually. But the so when we we get into the situations, uh, organizing is great. Communicating is important. Educating it requires a lot more time and energy and patience. And so people like to skip past it, but you can't. You have to focus on education. You have to evaluate the results of whether or not that education was successful or not, and then modify your approach so you get better and then organize and communicate. And then beyond that, the third process in this fundamental DNA is the process of storytelling, sharing experiences and benefiting from the experiences of others. And the process of storytelling has eight steps, the process that I follow. Uh, my processes that I follow are not the right process or the wrong process. They're the ones that work best for me. I share them with people and they evolve over time. Um, and the process of storytelling is A, the one, number one is to value your audience, right? Get to know your audience, know what's important to them, know what they're afraid of, know what they're interested in, know what their objectives are and how they're going to measure success. Second step is to know your purpose. The third step is to pause strategically, slow down, recognize options, and then choose the path that's best for you rather than making quick decisions. And that's something that I still fall victim to. Uh, I think a part of me always will, but I'll learn. Like that's how evolution works. The fourth step in the storytelling program that I follow is to, uh, to practice often those things that you intend to do, right? Everything that you do every day is important. Not everything you do every day is important. But figure out what are the most important things and practice those on a daily basis in every opportunity that you have. The fifth step is to invest more than just words, right? Words matter, but so do other things. Everything from intonation, tone, the structure and the style of your story, you know, when you have the opportunity to physically demonstrate to do that as well. Next is to be ready to evolve, but be willing not to. Lots of people talk about, uh, about the importance of being willing to change. However, somebody who's always willing to change doesn't stand for anything. And the choice to stand for something means that you're making a, you're making a bet that standing for this is more important than changing. And you have to be willing to do that at times where you make well, it. Like sometimes a lot of companies will uh, like change your business description, you know, to whatever's like the flavor of the of the year, you know, some artificial intelligence this year, next year, I'm like, you know, customer relationship management, you know, powered. And then they, they forgot like what their frustration they're solving and just stick with it. And if you're solving a frustration, you'll get paid for it and don't, you know, modify your business model because there's that outside forces that are making you think twice. And you're probably right. That's right. We were. That's exactly right. Right. Be, being willing to change, but being willing not to. And it's almost more important for people to focus on what they're not willing to change for, because that's what you stand for. Mm-hmm. Next is to do, do on occasion, the unexpected. The only advantage we mentioned AI a number of times in our conversation. One of the only advantages, if not the only advantage that we as humans have over artificial intelligence is that we can choose to act illogically. We can do unexpected, whereas technology cannot. It's programmed in a certain way to act in a certain way. And the advantage that we have over it is to occasionally do the unexpected. Well, we said, well, we said in our, um, in our, uh, at the URSA uh, happy hour event, you know, technology is a weapon and and humans use weapons. Weapons don't use humans, right? So this is a way to, to strengthen a relationship, not an excuse to not foster it. I feel like people say like, yeah, I sent out this email. I sent out this text. Like, Okay, but you only have 300 members, right? So why can't you touch each one of them personally 
as well as the follow-up that the technology allows you to do automatically. And I think that's the disconnect between someone who thinks they have a community and someone who fosters a community. I, I think you're right. And, you know, you use the word weapon. I prefer the word tool, something that we utilize. Uh, and to understand that it's a-, a You can go non-militant. You're older than me. So yeah, if you're a dove and I'm a hawk, okay, deal with it. I used to be a dove and now I realize that doves don't usually stay in one place. You know, they, they want, they move on to the next property until the people with the weapons, you know, turn the other way. So yeah, I'm with you. Keep going. There's uh, the a kind of commentary step, I want to provide on each one of the final points. Hundred percent. The the final state, the final step in the storytelling program is to live a story that solves problems. But solving problems is valuable, and if you solved on a consistent basis problems that people have, then you're going to be invited back again tomorrow, and that's really the most important. It just sums up into that is. What problems are you attempting to solve today? What problems have you learned how to solve today? Can you share and help other people implement those solutions uh, with what they're facing on a day-to-day -day basis? I like that. So, you know, as you think through your next phase uh, of your career, you know, you've been heavy in operations. Now you've gone into, you know, multiple crisis management positions at, at the senior level. Those come with, uh, you know, experiences and, you know, can I push myself and, and get through this? And others might be, hey, why don't you give me a clean business and let me just tell you how to grow it. And I'll throw all my quotes and motivational speeches in and, you know, give me, let, let me just run a nice little pure vanilla play. Or, hey, if you need me, I get excited. I think I can fix it. Then I'm, I'm going back in. Uh, you know what? It's binary it, thought process going on in the Harvey. It, <laughs> it is. Uh, it, it is. Um, I'm comfortable with whichever opportunity is presented or opportunities are presented. So, you know, I have over the course of 31 years, uh, a significant amount of experience in the uh, C-suite category of uh, positions. Uh, 13 years as the COO at Crunch from three studios up to 27 gyms from 93 to 2006. Uh, a COO position in the event management business for uh, two and a half years. And then five years of CEO or COO and then CEO experience in the boutique industry. And then the most recent, uh, you know, 14 month real crisis management situation as a CEO at New York sports clubs, 68 gyms, obviously we already did the rabbit hole dive into what that looked like. So any of those situations that can come up again, suit me on, um, you know, and it could also be, uh, you know, there could be another uh, startup company that is really looking for, you know, some guidance on how to, Short, you know, solves uh, solve some of the problems that have already been faced. In my experience, you know, in that entrepreneurial situation, you know, also comes to play. So I'm comfortable with whatever the universe decides to present with me as a, as a challenge. Uh, I'm here to help people. As I say, that's I'm very clear. That's about my purpose. It needs to be a brand, a name whose purpose I believe in, who stands for something that I believe in. Because if if we're aligned in that way. You know, then I'm very comfortable putting, you know, doing whatever is necessary to put the best interests of the organization ahead of what appear to be my short-term best interest, because I believe in the long-term, that really is what's in my best interest. Yeah. And then as you think about, um, you know, all the Zoom meetings that go on and people working from home, you're a guy that has traditionally wanted to have FaceTime, want to get to know people on a human level. 
you know, eye contact, let's meet in my office. You know, there is no clock of like when I'm, this meeting ends when it, when it ends, not, you know, you don't kind of rifle shot through people, um, which is very refreshing. So, you know, how do you kind of make sure people know that, um, you know, I'm not looking to come in here as like your virtual COO or CEO. Like if you got me, like you got physically, like I'm on the ground and that's the differentiator when I, I think it is. So maybe you want to just touch on that. I, I agree completely. Right. One of the things I've focused my uh, managerial development practice on in the past few years is practicing listening. And when I was younger, I think I thought I was good at it. Uh, and then as I became a little bit older, I realized I wasn't nearly as good at it as I needed to be and thought I was. And so I focus on that. That's a part of my daily practice. I have you know, this, these things that I focus on every day. And you can accomplish some of that digitally. Uh, I'm embracing and practicing some other solutions that um, the technology is bringing to bear uh, rather than getting people drowned in email and messages, be more focused on task-oriented things and having meetings that are participatory, not attended, right? Is a lot of people attend meetings or a lot of people who attend meetings but don't actually actively participate in meetings. And so focusing on the things I've learned over the course of time, see how can I do all of that better over the course of you know, the upcoming projects I have? You know, I like to think that I'm still in the early stages of my career. I plan to do this kind of thing for a long time, as long as I'm able. Yeah, and, and just one note, because uh, a lot of listeners here do run bricks and mortar businesses. The next evolution of this industry and the technology, it's if you're not doing a low cost, high volume Planet Fitness type of play, it's all about the staff. It's all about the education. It's all about you know the knowledge base that's learned. I think that's going to be the differentiator going forward. So you, even if you're in the Halo sector and you think you're running a bricks and mortar business, you're really in the talent management business that happens to be utilizing a bricks and mortar to, to run the play. So hit up Roger. Got Roger Radio. We'll have some tips up there. We might uh, put some subliminal quotes in, in there to, to have like a you know uh, our own little uh, Roger Wordle something. I got my mom to explain that to me. I just don't understand what that is. But uh, good having you back. You are a, a Baker Scholar, which they say at Harvard Business School. If you're in the top ten percent, so you're a Baker Scholar of Halo Academy 101 and 102. And uh, when we do create 103, you know you'll either be a, a student teacher or uh, maybe we'll give you a, you know guest lecture on the uh, top eight, or there'll be 10 by then. That's fantastic. <laughs> always, great, always great to see you as well, Pete. Uh, thank you on behalf of everybody in the industry for the things that you and the uh, Integrity Square team and, and Halo Talks are bringing BG. to you. Great to have you on there. Thanks, man. All right, we'll see you soon in person, all right? You got it. Take care, guys. Take care, buddy. Later.